Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. All right, welcome into the Cyber24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization and to keep your organization safe. And by the way, welcome to season number nine of our podcast. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24.9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, government relations. And this week we're going to talk about, well, let's think about it this way. The pandemic had a ripple effect on the supply chain, but there's also a software supply chain that keeps businesses moving the way they should. A disruption there can mean big trouble for your business. In this episode, we're going to talk to Dr. Anurban Banerjee. He is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Riscosity. This company is dedicated to providing businesses with a working software supply chain security platform, granting them greater visibility, control, and security. A really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Anubhav, thanks so much for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's start here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about Riscosity before we dive in on supply chain and other issues. Wonderful. No, uh, thank you again. My primary background has been in network traffic reversing. I've always been interested in technology and specifically what type of traffic goes under the hood in the internet. Um, I did my PhD from the University of California at Riverside, and then I started my first startup that got sold to a public company. Then I did my second startup, and this is my third one. Uh, Riscosity as a company focuses on a problem that is tremendously difficult to solve. Um, it's a pervasive problem. It is a growing problem, and it is very challenging. It focuses on bringing two different worlds together. The first one is of data flow governance, and the second one is software supply chain. To put it into more better context, how do you know what are the building blocks of the software that is bringing your enterprise revenue, and how is the customer data that you hold so valuable and close to your chest How is that being processed by all these building blocks that you have used to build up this piece of software that you are selling as a service to your customers? This is a very intimate question in terms of understanding how your important data is actually being used by these building blocks. That's what Riscosity does. So first of all, I'm personally a little bit of a mascot nerd. Uh, Highlanders, right? For your PhD, that was your yes. mascot at yeah, yes. Cal Riverside exactly. Highlanders. All right, exactly. Go Highlanders. Yes, <laughs> there you yes. go. Go Highlanders. And uh, <laughs> so, really interesting. Three three times through. What have you learned? Just from your perspective, what have you learned through starting now three companies and selling off two of them? That's that must have uh-huh. been a really interesting experience. It was. I I would say you know oftentimes people ask me like, should I do a startup? Should I should I should I put should I go in for it? And my answer to that is. Absolutely, yes. And and the only caveat to that is, and somebody much more wiser than me told me that there is an 11th commandment, which is, it will take longer than you think, it will take much more money than you think. Mm -hmm. And if you keep that in mind, you have, and you will, you will realize that you, you read the experience that you get from doing a startup, it forces you to get out of your comfort zone. I was not, I did not want to pick up the phone and talk to a customer. 
I did not want to answer support emails. I did not want to do, you know, accounting. I did not want to fill out IP protection, right, parents. But I had to, to make the company go forward. That was my first startup that I did. And it once it forces you out of that comfort zone, you get through that journey, and then you realize and look back at, wow, I did all these things. It makes you as a stronger as an individual, and you feel like, nah, next one, we'll figure shit out. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that uh, that eleventh commandment I have found also applies to remodeling your home. It will oh. take longer than you expect, <laughs> and it will cost more than you yes. expect for sure. Oh god! So people can apply whether you've started a company or just remodeled a bathroom in your house. Yes. You can understand yes, yes, that commandment. Yes. Hey, so the supply chain is something I think that we've all become uh, more. Uh, acutely aware of over the last couple of years, because with the pandemic, we had sort of a bottleneck in the supply chain that we've kind of felt. And maybe now we're starting to kind of get through that a little bit. You don't hear about it as much uh, in the United States. But can you help us understand what you mean by a software supply chain? Just make sure our listeners are are starting on the, the same level footing for this conversation. Absolutely. So any service that you use today, whether it is social media, any service that you use, banking applications, whatever it is, is a piece of software that you're interacting with over the internet through a browser. The core issue is that most businesses have realized there are only two or three really important things that they are good at, that they want to spend money on developing. As a typical example, a bank would like to make sure they have a very good understanding of all the actuarial information that's going in and in insurance products that they're offering, how much money is in a bank account, when will somebody default, all these uh, mathematical models that they have. They want to own that core IP, and that's what they should invest money on. What they don't want to invest their own resources on is when somebody logs into a banking application, hey, let's do two-factor authentication. It's an important thing. You should absolutely have it on your banking application, but the bank doesn't want to build that piece of software or functionality. Instead, they go and buy it from somebody else, or they use an open source, openly available piece of code to build in that functionality into their portal. This is a very typical example of prioritization from a business perspective to say, I have limited resources. Where do I get maximum bang for the buck? For the peripheral stuff, let's just use third-party services. All these third-party services that you're using for authentication, data security, all these various things, background checks. These are the third-party services and software, and this is actually your software supply chain on which you have built the castle, which brings you revenue. This is what we call the software supply chain. Yeah. And it sounds like it can get complicated uh, pretty quickly because there are a lot of variables there, like all these different... Every time you add an ingredient, a variable to the equation things can get complicated uh, pretty quickly. Can, can you maybe give us some examples of how you've seen it get complicated for a company uh, in, a, in a short amount of time? Absolutely. So uh, if you take size-wise companies uh, that are, let's say, 200 people in size, companies that are 2,500 people in size, companies that are 20,000 people in size, so on and so forth, for a company that is even 200 people in size, people might think, oh, what do they have? It's a small little company, a large SMB maybe, but what do they really have? Surprisingly, you will find software businesses that are even 200 people in size, they have thousands upon thousands of open source pieces of software that they are including in their own code base. And the more interesting part being, you got a piece of code from the internet, you improve that functionality, put it into your code base, and you're selling your software. Great, good for you. Do you know whether that piece of code which you have included in your software, there's one developer behind it, 
if they get hit by a bus, God forbid, you are now using a piece of software in your production environment that nobody's supporting. What then? Mm -hmm. So there's some practical issues that come up with ballooning very quickly. The issues balloon very quickly as the size of the company grows. Right. So as software companies look to increase revenue collection to make it faster, to grow faster, to get to that IPO point faster, what are some of the challenges that their technical teams face? Um, this is also a problem that we face as an internal company. Uh, typical example is the CEO is trying to close a big deal or the VP of sales is trying to close a big deal. And they went and made a promise that, oh, this functionality, Mr. Potential Customer, we'll give it to you in the next six months if you sign the PO right now. Is it going to be six months? Is it going to be nine months? They're going to try and get it done in six months. And what they're going to do is beat the VP of development on the head with a stick and say, make your developers do this faster and get the product out in five months, five and a half months. This is what happens in reality in most companies. In doing so, what we are doing is pressuring our development teams to say, guys or girls, got to move faster, got to move faster, got to push this out. What choice does the poor sod have? when you're holding the stick over their head and they're saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, the boss said I have to push this out. I'm going to get whatever I can from the internet, whatever third-party service, push it in, just get this shit out. This is called that entire philosophy of move fast, break fast, move fast. In startups, we talk about this all the time. But as a result of that, it's complete and utter chaos in terms of the ecosystem that you are building your software on. There is very little oversight in terms of security, oversight in terms of compliance, oversight in terms of governance on what the heck is it that you are using to build that castle of yours. You can build the castle of sand, you can build the castle of bricks. Well, which one would you want to build? Sand castle is faster to build. Mm -hmm but it's not going to stay for a long time. That's the major problem that I see with technical technology teams because they're under pressure to deliver. Guess which castle they're going to build? Yeah, they're going to build the one that gets done the fastest. And if you aren't careful about making sure that the quality is there, that's a risk that you're running for sure. So that's one of the driving factors that kind of, or one of the variables that factors into this. What's a What's the driving factor behind some of the more well-publicized data breaches that we've had in the last five years? And how does that tie in to this idea of of the supply chain, the software supply chain, and, and what we're discussing today? You know, um, in security, there's been an evolution. Over the last 15, 20 years, there's been an evolution. If you look at the types of attacks that have come to really large organizations, um, compromising a very large organization to get important data through a third party is not a new thing. If you remember many, many years ago, there was a very well-publicized attack on the brand target. The guys who got into the target system did were not successful at hacking target's own infrastructure or servers or services. What they did was they went in and hacked an HVAC vendor that was supplying target with services. And through that account, they could go in and do various types of things. So this type of content of how people have moved laterally in the organization to an external party. This is not new. The thing that has now happened is the bad guys have realized, hey, that's too much effort. It takes too long for us to do this. Only nation states will actually put in the effort to do these kinds of things to defense contractors. Normal organizations, and I said normal within quotes, uh, bad guy organizations, because the days of having one person sitting in a room in the basement, those are gone. There are no organizations that are 
going and doing these things from a profit motive perspective, they've realized the much more simpler thing is the following. I am going to write a piece of code that is actually very useful and it's good, well-tested, and I'm going to put it on the internet. I'm going to just sit and wait for people to start using that. For example, if you're building a website, you might want three or four pictures to slide on that website as people come so you can get your message across. I'm going to build a very nice looking uh, slider or carousel for your website with pictures. As people use it, great, 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 great. After two, 3,000 downloads have happened, I'm going to change one line of code in that particular library. 99.99% of systems say, ah, new version is available. Obviously, must be good. Let me go grab that. Well, guess what's going to happen? The automated update comes by, updates your code base, and boom, your production infrastructure now has all the malicious code that was silently injected from that other side. So there's this, I would say, a trust deficit that's going on at this point of time that you're building your castle. How do you trust which part is what? Should At least you should know that one particular brick cannot be trusted as much so you can have some kind of fallback procedures around it. That's what I see is going on. Yeah, and it kind of puts companies in a position where they have to monitor so much. I mean, you're talking about changing one line of code and one update right. and one thing on right. one element of your website. When a business leadership, you know, the C-suite's right. thinking about much bigger things. And you know, you're, it goes back to that idea that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And if your weakest exactly. link is, hey, one little line of code can get you, uh, that's exactly. actually a really scary position to be in. One of the key things that you mentioned, C-level leadership, the C-level leadership's role has also changed from a security perspective. It used to be much more hands-off. In the last 20 years, the role has actually morphed because the CISOs now have a, a seat at the board table. That, guys, if this happens, it's not just the CISO's head that's going to roll. It's going to be, you are going to be responsible for it. There are now many more laws like GDPR and all these privacy laws where you can get severe fines if you're not paying attention to what you're doing. And I think this is a positive move in the right direction because everybody in the company should be a champion for security. It's not just the CISO who is the single lone survivor who's kind of championing security, 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 and everybody's doing whatever they want in the Wild West. Organizations worldwide spend billions of dollars a year on cybersecurity that continue to be overwhelmed by security alerts, cyber attacks, and data breaches. Why? Because managing security based on multiple point solutions and manual processes cannot keep pace with the ever-changing threats and environments. Your team just cannot react fast enough. With Checkpoint software technologies, you can take back your security. With Checkpoint Infinity, you can consolidate all your security functions in one place for stronger security. With a single console and one unified policy, you can manage all of your security, including your users, devices, data applications, wherever they are. With Checkpoint Infinity, you can achieve the best security against both known and unknown threats across all networks, cloud and mobile devices, all managed centrally, enabling IT to tackle targeted campaigns in real time and ensure business continuity. Learn more about consolidating your security solutions with Checkpoint by visiting vlcm.com checkpoint. You've all seen the headlines. Every 39 seconds, there's a new attempted cyber attack in the U.S., as the threat landscape becomes more complex, the need for security operations is greater than ever before. It's time to put experts in your corner. For something as important as your organization's security, having a named engineer and analyst paired with you is critical. 
Arctic Wolf is a leader in security operations, utilizing a cloud-native security analytics platform to deliver security operations as a concierge service. Arctic Wolf's Security Operations Center as a service is always on guard with security experts monitoring your environment 24-7. Don't become the next headline. Learn more about Arctic Wolf's redefined cybersecurity approach at vlcmtech.com slash arctic-wolf. That's vlcmtech.com slash A-R-C-T-I-C dash W-O-L-F. Uh, the cybersecurity market has just blown up over the past decade, uh, in particular, multi-billion dollar uh, area. What areas do you think are underserved in this respect? I think uh, the way I see the landscape of the market is if I compare it to mountains and valleys. The mountains are the ones where your eye immediately goes to. And you see, ah, oh, there's <clears throat> snow on the top of the Alps and so beautiful and this and that. The valleys oftentimes people ignore or they don't really pay attention to. My thought process is that it's the valleys where the two mountains actually meet. So the world of data flow governance and software supply chain, that is one thing that we have identified as something that is underserved. Why? Because <clears throat> data flow governance traditionally has been treated as a data discovery problem to say, hey, I have all this information from my customers. I'm a data custodian. I'm an enterprise company. I'm a custodian of their data. I don't own the data. I'm a custodian of their data. If that is the case, <clears throat> let me try and find out, do I have first names, last names, phone numbers, social security IDs? How am I securing all that? And that is a very important thing. What has not been done usually is an analysis of all this great data that we're securing. Who are we handing it off to? How are we doing that? And this guy that we signed or this company that we signed a data protection agreement with, they said they'd keep the data in Luxembourg. Where is it in Luxembourg? I don't know. So these are some common underserved areas that people don't have ways to go and find out and answer the questions that they need answers to. And the push is actually coming from the compliance side, from the data governance, privacy rule side. That is the push that's there in the market at this point of time. Mm -hmm. In uh, many enterprises today, software developers, security teams, compliance auditors, the legal team, they all have a role to play in protecting data, customer data, other kinds of data. Uh, who has the most at stake there? Or do you look at it as everybody's got a, the same stake in it? And if the ship sinks, everybody sinks. I, I agree with the latter part of the statement that everybody has a stake in it. There's no question about it. Does everybody has equal stake in it? Probably not, but they have different perspectives on it. So as an example, for general counsels inside most companies, they are the ones who are over reviewing all the data protection agreements, as I mentioned. The blind spot for general counsels is the following. Once you sign that data protection agreement, the day after, what's going on? Is the vendor actually adhering to all the stuff that was there in the data protection agreement? They don't have a clue, not because they don't want to, but how will they get that information? They have to liaison with SRE, ops, development, security, GRC. Can you please give me info planning? Please give me info. It's, it turns into a <clears throat> information gathering exercise and it's not scalable. So general councils have a different perspective on this, but they do have skin in the game. Then GRC, governance risk and compliance. 
for them, it is a major issue that all the programs that they are reviewing and that are under their umbrella, they need to understand, are we drifting away from any of the compliance frameworks that we have subscribed to? That's their perspective. From the security side of things, they are actually the business risk owners that all these data that we are processing with these third-party services and third-party software, is it good? Is it bad? Is it kind of good, kind of bad? Where do we stand? They're trying to get that risk quantification posture from a security standpoint. From a development SRE perspective, they're trying to see, do we have a catalog? Because what I want to do as a development person is, I think I'm doing X, well, is it actually X? Can somebody go in an audience and say, no, it's X plus Y over here. Here's the delta that you need to take a look at all your APIs and all that. So there are different people who are stakeholders, but they have interesting perspectives and they do share in the problem space together. So it sounds to me like tracking things down within the software supply chain can be really tedious. Is it just tedious? But Well, I guess, A, am I right? And it's tedious. And then if I am... Uh, is it just that's the nature of it and there's no way around it? Or uh, is there a way to make it less tedious? And, and how is the market reacting to that? Very interesting uh, situation at this point of time. Uh, you will know that about a year and a half ago, the U.S. government uh, had a cybersecurity executive order by President Biden that came out, which specified that uh, all federal agencies are being given guidance that when you purchase a piece of software, you should look for something called an SBOM, Software Bill of Materials, S-B-O-M. What is an SBOM? An SBOM is very akin to when you go to a store and you're going to buy a bottle of hot sauce and you turn that bottle around to see there's a label behind it which says how much sugar, how much potassium, all these things. That table of contents is essentially an SBOM for a software. What does this software actually contain? <clears throat> the problem with this SBOM is Nobody really knows what to do with it. I give you, hey, it has this much potassium, this much blah, 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 blah. But you will notice there is a very interesting line on that label, which says uh, approximate daily calorie intake for a human being should be 2,000 calories. Why is that specific line important? It's important because it gives you a barometer of good, bad, ugly. Hey, this thing has 140 calories per spoon, probably going to put 10 of 10 spoonfuls in my food. That's kind of like more than half the calorie intake for a normal human being. You have a barometer over there. SBOM is the entire list of contents. Doesn't have a barometer. What are you going to do with it? You don't know if it's good or bad or not. That's where the problem lies in the market space right now. If you are just focused on SBOMs, it's going to be very hard to get customers to work with you. But if you give context with SBOMs, wherein the context is, how are you processing the data? Good, bad, ugly. Where is the data going? Your entire software supply chain. Then it makes sense. Like, oh, because everybody, everybody when they buy a piece of software, they have to solve a use case. It's not just to buy the software or just to get a report. The use case has to be solved. That's where I think things lie at this point of time. That's a really interesting and helpful analogy that it's like the uh, uh, nutritional content on anything that you eat. <clears throat> I don't know off the top of my head how much potassium or magnesium I'm supposed to have in any given day. So you can put a percentage on there, but unless someone has given me the context, the doctor has said, hey, you need to increase your intake of potassium and it needs to be X amount per day. Yeah, it's just information that's on a box and it it 
does check a box and and fulfills a requirement uh, that some regulator has put there, but doesn't really isn't helpful until you get the context. That's really a, a good way to think about it. So, what are some of the best practices that you would recommend for security conscious companies? One of the things is they should really try to subscribe to a framework of sorts. So, uh, the National Institute of Science and Technology (NIST) is a premier institute in terms of publishing uh, security frameworks, NIST 800, 151, NIST 853, 171, all these that are there. I think, except NIST, there are other agencies that also publish frameworks, PCI organization, level one, level two, they publish various types of frameworks. Companies should try to subscribe to something that is in line with their business model. That's the first step. Once you do that, it, and this is a very obvious kind of a thing, you cannot have responsibility without authority. You need to enable your security and GRC teams to buy the products, get the team in place, and do the things that are necessary. I would say that just these two are good enough for a small company that's starting out or companies that are just starting off their entire program. Different types of advice can be provided to much more mature companies who have many more processes in place. But especially for companies that are just starting out, just these two things will work magic for you. I'll, I'll give you the last word on the episode today. Tell me and tell our audience, if you're going to leave them with one bit of wisdom related to your area of expertise, uh, what would that be? I would say that always think of um, when you look at a piece of software, try to think what that software is doing with your data. Because the most important thing that any company has is customer information. We should all as a community ask our service providers, what are you doing with my data? Where are you sending it? Who is getting access to it? Very simple example. I don't want to get 200 emails from life insurance companies when I submit my email to your portal. I do not want that. Nobody should be subject to that. That's nobody why wants that. We, <laughs> nobody wants that. That's not fun. Especially the worst part if they start calling you. So <laughs> it's, it's even worse. But that's why my, my gut reaction would be like, let's all try to form a society where we ask questions. Asking questions is not stupid. It's a good thing to ask smart questions. And I would encourage that. Arban Banerjee, doctor, PhD, <laughs> and a Highlander, we figured out. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for your time and sharing your expertise with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about Riscosity, how do they find you? Oh, you can just go to www.riscosity.com, R-I-S-C-O-S-I-T-Y. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.